creativity lives everywhere. Creativity is abundant, you know, yeah. and, it, and it's a spectrum. You know, we're not, we're not trying to teach kids to be the next great painter, you know? We're, we're trying to work with kids to be great humans. All right, guys, welcome to the Bluemix podcast. Uh, major announcement, we have a new sponsor, Tornet. Shout out to Dixant, um, who came on our 14th episode of the podcast. He loved what we're doing so much that he wanted to show his support. Um, Tornet is a great team for anyone looking to outsource their technology to, by the way. Um, they work with a lot of startups. They work with a lot of full-form companies, organizations, uh, universities. Done, I've seen them do a lot of great work. Um, so this is how they describe themselves. Tornet is a team of technology priests operating across two continents who preach the power of technology to make a meaningful difference in their customers' ecosystem. They're a powerhouse of technology enthusiasts who believe that business value chains can be improved with the help of technology solutions. So if you're looking for any kind of solution to get built out, any technology solution, definitely reach out to Tornet. Uh, they're a great team. All right, Jen from Dare Arts, thank you for joining us on the Bluemex podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, really wanted to have you on. Uh, me and Henry heard you speak at uh, tech, the TechTO event last, uh, last month. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, one of the clear things was how passionate you are about what you do. Here you are on a late night on a Sunday mm -hmm. uh, coming here to talk about uh, Dare Arts and your initiative. Mm -hmm. So I'll let you take it away. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about Dare Arts and what you do? Yeah. So thank you. Uh, we work in underserved communities across Canada, and we provide leadership development through arts-based education. Okay. Uh, and that's, that's, that's the Coles Notes version, but maybe I'll tell you a little bit more yeah, about absolutely. what that looks like. So we uh, really target students who I would say are the hardest to reach students and hardest to serve students. And so what that means is that we're working with students who are quite withdrawn a mm. lot of the time academically, personally, emotionally, because they're facing a lot of barriers in their life. And so we start at age nine as a point of early intervention, and we're working with kids that are dealing with issues associated with food insecurity, poverty, social isolation, bullying, mental addictions, uh, or sorry, mental health and addictions in the home, violence in the home, in the community. And so these are students where often because of the pressures and the barriers that they face, they are not thriving in an academic setting and are not um, excelling in that more traditional methodology and approach to education. And what they need is the opportunity to have just a, a fresh slate and a, a, a start over, really. A turning point is what we say. We say that the students that we're working with, they're the kids that are in need of a turning point. And so usually what that looks like for us is a demographic of students who have never heard the word excellence associated with themselves. Mm -hmm. So a child who feels like they're failing because people are telling them they're failing all the time. And what we want to do is show students that all of them, that every child that comes into our program has excellence and that we want to draw that out. Right. So we use the arts as the vehicle to be able to find that sort of inherent passion and positive energy and drive and self-reflection and all of the things that a student needs to be able to start breaking through those walls, um, trust more, build more positive peer relationships and relationships with adults. So we have them come to our program and they actually come out of school for a full day, one day a week, for 10 weeks. Instead of going to school, they come to Dare Arts. 
And the idea is that we're trying to disrupt the dynamic that they experience in their classroom with their peers, with their teachers, and show them that there's just a different way to be. And so when we take them to beautiful state-of-the-art venues, you know, we take them to post-production mu music studios, we take them to fashion studios, we take them to architectural design firms, we take them to everywhere we can think of that's creative and an expression of, of arts, and we give them the opportunity to explore the arts and explore what that looks like in the context of leadership. So looking at their identity, looking at their personal narrative, looking at representation in the arts, looking at the barriers that they face, and then starting to open dialogue around how they can really take positive control, create positive change in their life to find their way to a very different future than the track that they're on. I mean, that's a cause very like dear to me because I was 100% one of those students. Because mm. uh, I was super disengaged in school. Mm. Was not the felt like it wasn't the place for me, and it was for different reasons than uh, normal. Is mainly because like I was so ahead uh, of the curve when it came uh, really early on. Mm. Like grade by grade one, grade three, I was reading at like the middle school level. I was uh, my mom was teaching me like calculus and algebra. Mm. She loved math, and she made me love math. Um, like. I was, like, you know, my dad talked to me about physics and brought a like, scientific American home, and I was reading that, and it, I was really ahead of everything else. I was so bored in school, mm. but yet nobody saw that because I was really bad at communicating that. Mm. I was really bad in communication, mm -hmm. like my English skills was mm -hmm. bad. Not knowing English, I mean actually communicating was bad. I was like mm -hmm. very, uh, very uh, introverted in that kind of sense. Mm -hmm. I would not never be able to communicate that. So my mind was always strained. Mm -hmm. It's always going to the places where it was not focused in. And I always felt like, you know, I mean, this is not a place for me. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah, and that's, that's exactly it is that, you know, we have 86% of our students have one or more parents that are new to Canada. And so they're facing a whole bunch of additional barriers a lot of the time in language and a, a number of things. And, and one of the things that I'm really proud of that our organization does that I think is different than a lot of organizations that are working in, in similar spaces is that we don't have the students self-select. So when you have a student opt-in to a leadership program, you're going to get the kid that's going, me, 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 you know, I'm, I'm the next leader, it's me. Uh, and that's, that's great that those programs exist, but that is a child that's already activating positive change in their life. We want the child who's not able to communicate, that they need, want, or would benefit from creating change. And so that's why we work with the principals and the teachers to identify exactly you. They would have identified you, they would, you know? And they would have said, like, there, there, there's, there's, there's got to be some potential underneath here, and I think this program can can pull it out, right? Yeah, and yeah. We, we have a really common, so one of the most common stories we hear is, is from students who really face a lot of challenges in communication. They feel socially, socially isolated, they're very shy, they, they don't feel comfortable speaking, not even public speaking, but just with their peers. And they come to our program and it just transforms them. You know, we, we had a student um, recently who came through what we call our Youth Leadership Institute Aiden, and he started in our program about five years ago, and he was he was an incredibly shy student, right? And he, he felt very isolated. He was in a very dark time. He was experiencing a lot of bullying. And he came to Dear Arts, and he started to just, like, find his people, you know? It's this community that's positive and uplifting, and everybody's supportive. And he's gone through a number of our programs. Recently, 
he, he participated in this Youth Leadership Institute where it's a, the idea is that they take the art form they're most passionate about and then they take a social issue that they want to address and they do community intervention with that art form. So they chose film as the art form and they chose TenFed, which is a, a company that works to address food insecurity. And they developed a short film for TenFed. And so Aiden managed the partnership development with this company. At the end of it, the founder of that company offered him a job in sales. Okay. Aiden, a student who was too shy to speak to his peers, wow. five years later, coming through Dear Arts, we do work with the kids on public speaking, on all these different kind of aspects of communication, internal, external, reflection, these things. He now is working in outreach and sales. Wow. I mean, there's no better testament to transformation in, in somebody's level of confidence and self-esteem to take on that kind of a role. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it really is the power of like to transform somebody, to really tune a message to more of their capabilities or mm. their interests mm -hmm. um, to, and to draw out their potentials. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's one of the biggest things that, that are required right now is the disruption of the current educational model mm -hmm. and how we, you know, we institutionalize our, our youth, mm. basically, mm. by putting them in these environments that are pretty hostile to the creative mind. Yeah. And we're, and the excuse for that is gone. Like when schools were first, like as we, are, as we have them now, were first developed, it was in the 18th century, the modern schools, um, to fit, to pretty much find workers for factories. You know, separate the two between the workers versus the, mm. you know, the, the, the white collar office managers who manage mm. the workers. It's a filtering mechanism. Mm -hmm. you know, how, how uh, much can you sit down here in one, pla one place, right? We listen to what's been told to you and repeat it back. Yeah, yeah. And you know, stay within the lane, not be really creative or uh, stray away, uh, and kind of dull you from the ground up so you can fit these kind of dull industrial environments later in life. Mm -hmm. Well, not only is the environment different now, but the, the skill sets uh, actually changed. We need our citizenry to be trained to be creative. I mean, we were talking to two other guests today as well who talked about that, how mm -hmm. these corporate environments now require, mm -hmm. but they, they need to democratize. They, the ones who actually figured a way to get the creative potential of their workforce out are the ones who can like, you know, out-compete the market space. Yeah. Because they can move faster, they yeah. can develop quicker, um, they get ideas better, or they can test those ideas. And, and they, as long as they create this kind of environment, they actually benefit from that. Mm -hmm. And yet our schools are not producing it, those kind of skill sets. Completely. I mean, it's, uh, and when you, when you look at, so there's this inherent piece that exploring arts has, right? It has this analytical thinking and mm -hmm. creative thinking and processing and, um, you know, creative self-expression and all of these things that play into what you need to really be successful in life, in work. And then when you pair it, what we do is pair it then with leadership development curriculum. And mm -hmm. that's a curriculum that has like a steadfast mission around, you know, team dynamics and communication and reflection and all these other pieces. So when you look at exploring that type of how do I create something from nothing, yep. right? I mean, how do I come in and look at a blank canvas or look at a blank screen and then, and then create something? And what's the journey and what am I analyzing in my environment to get there? and really using those, the critical thinking skills. It's what prepares these students for so much success in their life. And I think, you know, for me, that's always one of the, the challenges is that I think sometimes art has a very soft connotation, mm -hmm. right? It's this, you know, you're, you're exploring and it's, it's just, it always has a soft connotation. But, but art produces incredible, 
incredible skills that you need for all different facets of your life, right? And, you know, we took the students to Penguin Random House earlier in the year to look at what is creativity in publishing, right? And they worked with a team of illustrators to go through the whole illustration process and then the graphic design process of that. And for these students to see oh, okay, it's not just the conventional, you know, I'm a painter, and so, you know, I paint, but I, I work in publishing, or I work in film, or I work in TV, and I use these creative skills, but then also in the most corporate of corporate realms, these are the same skills you need. You know, you need the leadership skills, you need the drive, you need the resilience. We had a student in our program who was only about 11 years old, and she was up on stage at the end of the program, and she said that she first came to Dare Arts and she was very apprehensive as most of our students are because they're selected. So she said, I wasn't really sure. I didn't know if I you know, needed this opportunity, and she came. And she said, on the first day, we were working with a canvas and painting. And she said, I, don't, I, don't, I never had an affinity for arts. I don't feel comfortable in this space. And she did a brush stroke across the canvas, and it felt like a mistake. And she said, in that moment, she would have just given up and thrown it out and said, it doesn't, I don't know what this is. It doesn't feel comfortable. But the Dare Arts teachers came up and they sat with her and they had a conversation about how beautiful it is when you make one misstep and then you find your way back and what you can create out of that moment and how much momentum you can put behind something that you might have thought was a failure, but you mm -hmm. learned from it and it evolved. So they sat with her and she ended up painting something that she was so proud of, right? I mean, she, she, she saw so much pride and joy out of this painting. Mm -hmm. And she stood on the stage and she said, Dare arts to me is seeing opportunity where I would have seen failure. Now, for an 11-year-old child to say that they're able to identify that before they saw failure when they make a misstep, and now they see opportunity for growth, there is nothing that's going to serve them better in their life, in yep. terms of their career, their personal life, what they want to achieve in their life, than, than seeing opportunity and having that kind of resilience. Absolutely, and one of the things I like about your messaging really is how well it ties into the entrepreneurship and innovation mm -hmm. field. Mm -hmm. um, like that skill set to be able to look at failure, look at mistakes, and be like, okay, what can I learn from this, and how can I not repeat it again, mm -hmm. uh, and how can I continue making mistakes so I can learn, mm -hmm. right? See failure as a learning step, like learning curve, mm -hmm. rather than like endpoint. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the biggest ch drastic change in, in, in the schooling systems that we're used to is that failure is just failure. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. get that red line mark and you have failed, right? And you have to go and explain why you failed your parents, right? You have to explain that to yourself and you're kind of like haunted by that. Mm -hmm. it, it affects your grade and it, it's almost permanent. Mm -hmm. But uh, the kind of, kind of uh, thinking you're kind of introducing and, mm -hmm. to these people these kids are, failure is okay. Mm -hmm. It's part of the creative process. It's mm -hmm. part of what you're uh, becoming you. Um, and it's interesting that you're taking the arts perspective from this because, I mean, I've been working out of the institutional environment for uh, innovation, right? Uh, working at, with UFG at the hub here, mm -hmm. um, where we have built about 125 companies. And it's all of us, well, always we talk about is, you know, failure being a learning curve. Yeah. The whole Mark, Mark Zuckerberg quote about uh, fail fast. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's become fail fast, but fail forward. Mm -hmm. Right? How do you how do you take this failure and fail and, and go towards something that make it move towards something that you actually where you want where you want your project take take your project mm -hmm. or take this a company or things like that? Um, do you guys do that as well? Do you guys ha have any, any form of entrepreneurship or 
those kind of uh, streams as well? Or? Yeah, so we're, we're really starting to build out a lot of the capacity building in these areas. I mean, you know, the first thing that we kind of identified is, is the whole entrepreneurial spirit and even like the community of tech, it's, it's so aligned with yep. all the values and what we're trying to do. You know, we're looking at innovation, we're looking at problem solving, we're looking at fail fast, you mm. know, and learn and grow, um, pushing boundaries, working outside of the box. And so we're now really in a new phase organizationally. So, you know, the organization has been around for 24 years. And yep. for 24 years, we provided amazing opportunities for kids, right? But we provided them in, in shorter windows. So 10 weeks, a child would come to the program. And it's really important when you're working with any vulnerable population, the continuity of service is critical, right? I mean, if you're working with a student who's facing what feels like insurmountable barriers in their life, it's gotta be more than 10 weeks, yeah. right? And we've gotta build a more permanent community that they feel they can go to and they can recharge from and that they can continue on learning, growing from for many years to come. And so uh, when I came on board with Dare Arts, the, the vision that I really had for the organization that we're very focused on now is, is continuity of service and comprehensive programs. Mm. And what that means is that we wanna serve students for a longer period of time and we wanna increase our impact by being more comprehensive in what we do. And so that has looked like building out alumni programs, building what we call kind of like a, a theory of change or a, a development trajectory for the students where they might start in our, what we call our core program or all the arts program, mm. and then they, they progress into these additional programs that have more of an entrepreneurial kind of focus. And so even something like our Youth Leadership Institute, this focus around community activation feels very entrepreneurial to me. So the notion that, that kids come in in a small group for that program, we only accept eight to 15 students per cohort, and they come in and they have to work as a team and challenge one another to really figure out what they wanna do in the world, what kind of positive change they wanna do, and how they're gonna do it. And there's this whole process of them kind of you know pitching the group about what social is issues they're passionate about and what they want to focus on and then identifying what artistic discipline they're going to use and and a lot of it is that sort of more entrepreneurial focus in terms of how they're going to create something out of nothing innovate something and then what they can continue to do with that but we also are now looking at building out more opportunities that operate around digital literacy and technology and that's sort of a core focus for us right now is identifying you know what are the gaps currently in our curriculum in terms of digital literacy because we're moving at such a fast pace with technology and if you look at how technology influences the arts it's remarkable right i mean going from a student only 15 years ago would have been studying photography and dipping mm. you know <laughs> film in water and uh and now you know kids need to know how to be on a computer and using you know design software and all of these components and so for our students a lot of them don't have access to computers at home. They don't have access to the internet. They, they, they don't have opportunities in their life to build basic digital literacy. And in a lot of the schools that they're in, in some of the higher priority neighborhoods, the schools are not, don't have robust programs either for technology. So they're at a huge disadvantage in terms of where they go in terms of those technical skills. Yeah. So we really wanna look at how do we infuse you know, tech, how do we infuse digital literacy? How do we look at more entrepreneurial efforts for how the kids can be activating in their lives, in their community uh, for what they wanna create, ways they wanna create positive change. No, amazing. That's really amazing. I mean, let's talk a little more about Dare Arts and what, how you got involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where are you guys located? 
Yeah, so we are located in the Center for Social Innovation in Regent Park. On Regent Park. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So that's and you guys right here. That's us. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we wanted to be rooted in one of the communities that we serve. And yep. in Toronto, we largely serve um, North Etobicoke, Scarborough, and Regent Park. And we wanted to start building stronger ties in the communities. For a long time, we've worked closely with the schools. And it's very positive. It's a critical relationship for us. But now part of that comprehensive support is we want to start building stronger relationships with the families themselves and with the students so that we can really identify what needs they have and grow from there. Absolutely. I mean, Regent Park has gone through some of those radical transformations in the past few years. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's been completely gentrified almost. Mm -hmm. And the area has been transformed. How's uh, the response been in the community? You know, um, I think that it's a very uh, it's a very complicated situation. What's been lived in Regent Park, right? Because I think that there's been aspects of that process that started out that were somewhat unilateral, right, and driven by economic development and things like that. Uh, and I think it would probably depend on, on who you speak to in the community. I, I've certainly spoken to some community uh, advocates who have been, I think they feel very well engaged in different processes mm -hmm. of the revitalization. And, uh, and then there's other people who really, who don't feel that way. And so, you know, I'm always careful. I don't live and reside in that community and I don't have a, a history of living in that community. So. I don't want to speak to their lived experience, but I think that there's a real um, mixed appreciation for what's happened in the community. And there's, there's a whole piece about losing the history and fabric that may, somebody might have deemed as not being good enough, that you know, the message you're sending people who are living there is that what they were living wasn't good enough. Yep. That's, a, that's, a, that's challenging. That can be quite problematic. Absolutely. And so, um, so I think it's a, it's a constantly growing thing. What we try to do in the organization is really work closely with community advocates and with organizations that know the community best, that live in the community, and make sure that we're working in partnership with as many organizations and, and advocates as we can to be building programs and opportunities that the community identifies they need. And that's a big thing for us. You know, We also do a lot of work in uh, Northern Ontario in remote indigenous communities. And we focus a lot on working in partnership for the community to identify what the need is, not for us yeah. to identify for them. That's great, the more community-centric approach. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the major issues with Toronto. I mean, we're the fourth largest city in North America, which is an insane thing to think about. Um, we have, of course, the w some of the worst infrastructure to go with that mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to actual uh, transportation, comes to uh, mass transport, to, uh, to driving, to the, the highway systems. Even when the highway was built, and the 401 was built, communities were wiped out yeah. in order to, for that to be built. We see the necessity now. In fact, we say, like, we need more infrastructure. Mm -hmm. But these are the costs, mm -hmm. is, to, is the radical transformation of communities and the areas surrounding them, the people that live in them. But uh, change can be good. Mm -hmm. and, um, mm -hmm. and we see the area now, it's been radically transformed, uh, the Toronto, uh, it's expanding, it's growing, it's becoming a, a very bright leader in the future. A mm. um, lot of tech is coming through here, a lot of innovation is coming through here. Um, the fact like people like, uh, like your organizations like you exist to help like the underserved communities have access to the tech, that kind of radical change, mm -hmm. I think is becoming more and more important. I mean, mm -hmm. We briefly spoke about this. Um, the idea that through the arts program, like how you can help further like empower people to follow more innovative solutions mm -hmm. like you know mm -hmm. be more entrepreneurial 
um, the idea of the starving artist doesn't have to be the same anymore. Yeah, that's, that, I mean, that's totally it, right? As we're trying to show kids that creativity lives everywhere. Creativity is abundant, you know, yeah. and, it, and it's a spectrum. You know, we're not, we're not trying to teach kids to be the next great painter, you know? We're, we're trying to work with kids to be great humans. Yeah. And the spectrum that they live on artistically, it, uh, it, it, it varies. And some of them do want to pursue the arts, and some of them just want to pursue that creative angle to whatever they're yeah, doing. That's what we're trying to help It's an achieve. outlet almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, on Instagram, there's this really, um, this kid, he goes by the name of Nile Arts. Or Nile.paints on Instagram, and uh, this, uh, I don't know if you know, Six Buzz is a huge uh, Instagram community. Okay. Uh, 600,000 followers. Okay. Found this, uh, put up a video of, of this kid on the street, co on the, by the street side, literally painting and selling his paintings for like $2, $3, $4. And on the video, he talks about like he does this to not just support himself and his family, but to get the money to help others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, just that the authenticity of that. He's like about, I think about 11 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, now he's about, uh, I think it's been a year now, so like, I think 12, 13. Um, like he blew up as a sensation yeah. almost, a mini sensation. As now 30,000 followers on, on uh, Instagram. People go out of the way now to go mm -hmm. and see him and buy his art, mm -hmm. right? And he talks about all the time like how he wants to use now, his, his growth now is to take, this, take, the, take the successes he's had and use it to help other people, yeah. other kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Art is an incredible, it's, it's a very powerful tool, right? Mm. I mean, when I was in, in, in high school, I was, I was like you, <laughs> too. I was, I was disengaged at one point, you know? And yeah. I, w I was a student who all through uh, elementary school was so engaged in school and I was so passionate about it. And um, when, I, when I went into my adolescent years, I had a lot of challenges with addictions in the home. And... Um, my brother, you know, struggled quite significantly with mental health and addictions, and it really just, it, it was a lot for me to carry as a young person, and I got to a point where I was so, I was so disengaged, I was so angry, I was just so angry at what life looked like, and how I couldn't kind of get around these challenges, and the two things, the reason that I'm so passionate about Dara, it's the two things that pulled me out, one was leadership programs, going to leadership camps, leadership conferences, leadership programs, where yeah. it's all about finding perspective and enthusiasm and all these things. And the other thing was art. You know, my dad was a professional musician, and my whole childhood was spent sleeping under my dad's piano. I would literally get a sleeping bag in my pillow when I was starting when I was five years old, and I would just curl up at night and sleep under his piano while he'd play scales. Yeah. And music, for me, jazz piano, became this huge driving force through a lot of my, my teen years because it was a way for me to, to let everything out. And it was a way for me to connect back to other people and to try to sort of create the equilibrium that I needed to then go out and serve others. And I think that's, that's the power of, of, of self-expression and finding those points of creativity. Absolutely. I mean, thank you for sharing that story. Mm -hmm. I mean, that personal kind of connection really drives for, like, you can always tell someone who's passionate about what they do. Mm -hmm. um, personal connection to what you do, it, it's, it's a rare opportunity to be able to work on things you enjoy, mm -hmm. things that mean things to you. Mm -hmm. And I think people are now finding more and more opportunity to do mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. um, how's that journey for you? Let's, uh, let's expand on that a little bit. Right? Yeah, I, mean, I think yeah. that's really interesting. How'd you get to where you are? Well, you know, um, 
I, I was very fortunate growing up because my, my mom spent her whole career devoted to social service. So she worked for the provincial government in adoptions disclosure, in child abuse, in, you know, Ministry of Child and Youth Services, um, in developmental services, working with people with disabilities, on policy. And my whole upbringing was rooted in this idea of social responsibility and social service. And I almost can't remember a point in my life, I really actually don't think I can remember a point in my life when I didn't know that working in the nonprofit sector is what I would do because it was so much a part of the fabric of, of who, what our culture was as a family. You know, um, when I was a child, my, my mom was so generous in, in the way that she would serve others and the way that she would think of others. And, uh, and I, I had this real exposure to the idea of marginalization and, you know, through, you know, having this situation with addictions and mental health and having, you know, family members with disabilities, it's this, this whole understanding of what it looks like to be uh, working in, a, in, as an ally with marginalized communities. So for me, from the time I was very young, I started working in nonprofits. And I really um, am lucky because I've, I've passionately loved, I can honestly say, every single job I have ever had. That's amazing. It's, right? I mean, I don't think this yeah. exists, right? Because I'm in a sector that's so, that's so, it just speaks to the core of who I am. And, and at the core of me is a desire for people to feel included and for there to be equity. And I think that there's a lot of different communities that benefit from uh, that kind of inclusive design of the world. And so I started in the nonprofit sector and, and really tried to work my way through every different facet of, of an organization. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I wanted to be the kind of leader, and it's not to knock other kinds of leaders, I just knew for me, I wanted to be the kind of leader that could be entrenched in every aspect of what we do. Yeah. You know, and so I worked in my way through, you know, management of programs and through, you know, finance and through project management and through fundraising and development and marketing and communications all with the idea that I would be able to have this kind of big picture strategic hold on, on how organizations navigate this sector. And that's, that's the thing for me is I'm, I'm as passionate about philanthropy in the nonprofit sector as I am about what we do at Dare Arts. Like mm. it's, it's being part of something that's bigger than me, bigger than our organization. It's about being part of something that, you know, a community of like-minded people that accept that we have a responsibility to make things better in the world as much as we can. And, and the nonprofit sector is very, very, very in need of innovation and thinking outside the box. And it's unfortunately a sector that's been so stifled by the perspective and impression of what it should be, right? And so a lot of organizations have a hard time retaining talent and you know acting innovatively because maybe they, they have government funding that they might feel they have to act in a certain way and manage in a certain way, it's hard for them to kind of get around it. And so we've really tried to stay rooted in accessing as much as we can, you know, a really diverse sort of funding base so that we can have movement to be nimble and, you know, to take the right type of risks and to really innovate in what we do. Uh, and for me, that's, that's what I'm, I'm really passionate about growth, about mm -hmm. improvement, about change. And in my life personally, professionally and as an organization, it's all driven around this idea of constantly growing, constantly evolving, constantly changing and improving what we do. That's amazing. Um, I mean, you mentioned how 
you're now the CEO of Dear Arts, you've taken over. This is a system that's been running for about 20 years? 24 years. 24 yeah. years, wow, mm -hmm. congrats. Thank you. Um, and you've taken this over. I mean, there's always challenges behind this, especially mm -hmm. the nonprofit sector. Uh, there's usually one main person championing mm -hmm. the vision of um, the organization. Right. Where, what path to take, what are the core responsibilities, mm -hmm. policies. Um, and, it's, and it's really a, a much more influential than like a private company. In a sense, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. How's that been for you? The trans, uh, the transitioning um, between previous ownership to your, your mm -hmm. ownership. Did mm -hmm. you work with an organization before, or you brought in afterwards? How how does that work? Yeah. So I mean, it's it it's it's a it is it's a whole process, right? Yeah. And I think um, you know we were as an organization fortunate to be in a situation where the founder of our organization was ready to retire and ready to kind of you know move on to the next step and uh, and that's important because organizations need to keep evolving and finding new iterations of themselves right like this this idea of reinventing yourself is important particularly with I, I, I always say nonprofits I always say that they're they're living breathing organisms that they really they don't belong to any one person right we, we sort of steward them when we're in leadership but they are their own their own entities that grow and change in different ways according to the needs of the people they serve and so what I've done is I really tried to come in and take just as collaborative approach as possible. So, you know, I did have a very clear vision around continuity and comprehensive. That, that is something that I came in right away based on the experience I've had serving marginalized communities and working with vulnerable populations. I knew I wanted yeah. to do that for the organization. But beyond that, it's been a lot of bringing in champions who have worked with this organization for over a decade. You know, I hired three staff who were alumni of our program. And there's no better uh, demonstration of the program's efficacy than having its own alumni come and work as facilitators. Yeah. And then, you know, I brought in a number of people who had been artist educators and worked in different capacities with us for over a decade into more lead roles. And so what we've ended up with is this incredibly synergistic collaborative team that's able to take on challenges of looking at where we are and navigating where we want to go as a collective. And I think that for me as a leader, the most exciting thing has been to see a team that's truly, truly empowered and activated around what they can do as a team and what we can all do together. Yep. Um, and I think that is, an, it feels like an innovative space to be in, to be able to come and really brainstorm and think tank things. And a lot of our, our growth we've seen over the last year, we've developed a number of new programs, we've grown into new geographies. We're, we're expanding to do a full uh, expansion of our program in Vancouver in February. And it's come out of this team. Mm -hmm. It's come out of the energy of people coming together, having clear, uh, direct, constructive criticism with each other, being receptive to that, being, being you know, mindful of how we're coming at different things, our lived experience, and just working together. Definitely. Um, and, I, and I'm also fortunate to have a board of directors that, that goes so far above and beyond any board I've ever seen in the nonprofit sector. I mean, just so committed and invested, and they bring such a high caliber skill set to what we do. So in terms of strategic visioning and business development and things like that, they're, they're really able to support the organization well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we're seeing right, right now like a radical transformation with how technology is being applied. Mm -hmm. um, just the access people have. Uh, I was just talking about this with Henry, but like how, like just YouTube, like these, mm -hmm. these huge, huge networks mm -hmm. that allows you to interact with what, 1.6 billion people now mm -hmm. are connected. 
to uh, the internet mm -hmm. uh, especially through mobile mm -hmm. in fact i i think it's more the, the, the internet in general mm -hmm. but like these platforms like youtube um, it's like the first real way of the recorded speech to be recorded in perpetuity mm -hmm. and to be shareable mm -hmm. just like the the printing press kind of allowed like like uh, ideas to spread rapidly you printed it into into readable formats in perpetuity and how it originally meant to be and distributed like the spoken word can now be like reco recorded in, in uh, perpetuity and the opportunity for people to utilize that mm -hmm. like how artists utilize like instagram mm -hmm. how podcasts mm -hmm. are using mm -hmm. these, these uh, open networks right um youtube and spotify mm -hmm. and all these mm -hmm. things and how to get your message out how mm -hmm. to get your voice out how to get your art out um I, I started doing last year a, a series of talks at high schools, uh, one in Markham, one in Peel region, one in Durham region, um, part of a program for, for, for students for um, university readiness. And this organization has been running for 20 years, mm -hmm. and they brought me in because they're like, we need entrepreneurship to be represented. For 20 mm -hmm. years, we had all the STEM fields, but entrepreneurship is becoming its own, it needs its own kind of uh, stand. And it, under entrepreneurship, it's not just create a company. I don't, I don't find that uh, way to see it, right? I see that like, it, capitalism 1.0, before the internet, it was all about, before software took over, it was all about like IQ, right? The ability to take in information and repeat it, mm. to be mathematical, to be analytical, all that. But now you can use these so-called soft skills, like uh, emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Um, artistic intelligence, mm -hmm. social intelligence, mm -hmm. emo like um, conscientious intelligence, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. athletic intelligence, mm -hmm. right? The kinetic, kinesthetic mm -hmm. uh, intelligence, like being able to use your body in different ways, so like dance. Mm -hmm. pe people who can, who can like uh, really control their bodies and and like in like a, in it's like almost like an intelligence that they're naturally. Um, come with but mm -hmm. also can be developed over time mm -hmm. and how these there these crafts which usually before were like okay you're gonna be a starving artist or what are the chances you're an athlete that makes it um you it's more democratized mm -hmm. right you can get yourself heard much more easily you can put up a video of you you know doing uh, doing track and showing your time up online mm -hmm. you can you know have the devices that measure all this and give direct output and be mm -hmm. like look this is what i did um, you know, if you're a musician, you just put your art out there mm -hmm. and see how people like it. If you're an artist, put your art out there. Like, like Pratip, uh, I mean, he makes short films. Like mm -hmm. how he got discovered, how we started talking, mm -hmm. is that you know, we knew Antje for a long time, but he started making these short films, started putting out there. Other people got interested, wanted to be part of it. Other artists, other mm -hmm. actors, right, musicians. They're like, okay, you know, and we all kind of everyone kind of bands together and create these micro communities mm -hmm. that can create a bigger totally. piece. And yeah. Now it, there's ability for not just to be heard, but use that attention now to monetize. Mm -hmm. So you can now f use your art mm -hmm. to propel yourself forward. Mm -hmm. So no longer are you stuck to be like, oh, I need a nine to five to feed me so that I can focus on passion project on the mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. Now the passion project can be the actual main vehicle of your mm -hmm. growth. And it's more sustainable and more accessible than ever. And what I'm interested in is like, uh, you guys are interested in these programs now, more, mm -hmm. right? I mean, do you guys have those kind of kind of infrastructure in place to teach you know, how to monetize or how to mm. get attention and then what to do with that attention afterwards uh, with your artwork, all that? Like yeah, that's that. I mean, that's really a lot of what we're focusing on now, and, and some of it for us is focusing on you know, on voice activation. So, okay. 
um, as much as it is about how to sort of like monetize and build that kind of, you know, an entrepreneurial uh, skill set, for a lot of the students that we work with, it's also just about activating their voice around, you know, issues. And so I'll give you an example of how technology, exactly what you're saying, has, has significantly shifted one of the communities we work with. So the northern communities that we work with in Ontario that are re they're remote fly-in only communities that we work with. Yep. And a lot of these communities have like really little access to internet, right? So they have an internet connection, might be in one location in the community, even there it's very spotty. Um, and so it's still a work in progress, but some of these students, uh, they, f they, they can feel so isolated, right? I mean, they're living in a community, they feel like their voices are not heard uh, outside of, you know, their community. And so when we work with these youth, when we go, when we fly into these communities and we work on songwriting and these youth write an anthem, right? They write an anthem that the whole community just completely resonates with. And, and usually these songs that they'll write will, will speak to the way that they live, the isolation that they feel, the empowerment that they want to feel, the hope that they feel when they work with their arts. When YouTube became a thing, suddenly these youth have a platform for their voice. Suddenly these youth who previously felt that they're living in a flying only community with no access to anything else, have access for people to hear what they have to say, right? And they have, they have important things to say. And so a lot of what we try to do is teach young people that they can use technology to amplify their voice through an art form. That's, that's a lot of what our focus is. And there's so many different mediums to do that. There's so many different uh, aspects of technology that they can use, but it's really about amplifying what they have to say uh, about being stronger advocates in their own lives, in their communities, in their schools. And now it's really about figuring out how we can do a better job of that, you know? And it, it's also because it's relatable. You know, we, you can only do um, art forms that, you, we have to evolve our art forms, right? If students wanna be doing things that they feel excited by that are, that are happening in their day-to-day -day life. And so a lot of that involves technology. And so we have a lot of barriers with that in terms of, you know, funding. So, you know, it would be amazing to create a, a new program where the kids are all working on iPads and they're working with different software and they're looking at, you know, creativity and coding and they're doing like all these different things. It would be amazing, but we would need all the computers and we would need the design lab and we would need all these things. And so it's always a matter of trying to figure out, you know, what can we feasibly do in our program and how can we inject Technology, and that's right now we've we've recently developed this um, technology advisory group where we look for tech professionals who want to give back, and they come together and they're they're looking at identifying a few key areas for us. So one is identifying you know how we can inject digital learning and technology into our curriculum. What applications can we use? What new venues can we go to? What new art forms can they explore? How can we change the art forms that yep. they explore? Another thing that we're looking at is um, what new programs we can create that are all tech-based. So can we create you know, an after-school program that's rooted in creative application of technology? And then the other core area they're working at is, on is actually technology for our organization. <laughs> because you know, another one of the pitfalls of nonprofits is, is of course always access to financial resources. Yeah. So, you know, we're trying to infuse technology into our programs, but we need technology ourselves to be able to better, you know, communicate, stay engaged with our students, create a longer trajectory for the relationship with students over time, you know, 
stay in touch so we can know what the impact is long term with students. So we're working with these volunteers to help us be able to identify what kind of systems and applications we can use as an organization yep. to work more efficiently, work more effectively, scale faster in what we do because ultimately my goal for the organization is to serve as many kids as possible and that so that's growth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean I mean you hit it right there when you talk about how these underserved communities can be better utilized just by having, you know, resources and technology. Yeah. Uh, having technology there. I mean the liberating aspect of technology. I mean one of my coolest the coolest ideas I've heard is like how technology is actually reversing humanity in a sense. Where bef I mean Civilization became like you know, everyone moving to a concentrated city center and hyper focusing on like a particular craft, right? Mm -hmm. You become an accountant, you become you know, a lawyer, you become a physician, whatever it is, you become a hyper focused professional, and that rewards you and that becomes part of, become a cog in the machine. Mm -hmm. Well, with technology, we've seen the reversal of that now, where software is taking over these higher level mental functionality, mm -hmm. and people become now become more independent, mm -hmm. like more entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. right? So. Just before people were independent, where individuals had to go out, you know, hunt, get your own firewood, mm -hmm. hunt your own mm -hmm. food, you know, or grow your own crops if you're running a farm. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're pretty much running yourself, you're feeding yourself, uh, and creating an access that you can sell off. Mm -hmm. Now you're doing that creatively through the internet, mm -hmm. where now you're trying to create a mechanism almost, right? You have the opportunity to, anyways, so you're almost forced to, the job environment changing, create a skill set. That can be utilized online to get get money, right? Like you can become a like there's so many like freelance jobs. You go to like any coffee mm -hmm. shop now. Mm -hmm. All these co-working stations mm -hmm. popping up, mm -hmm. where people are just sitting there and just doing graphic design, mm -hmm. outsourced coding, outsourced mm -hmm. um, doing media for on behalf of other people, right? Like there's so many of these small small gig works people are taking on. What they're doing is fine-tuning a craft mm -hmm. that they can now mo monetize through utilizing multiple software. Mm -hmm. Whereas before we were taking a corporation to have an entity to have multiple people underneath them have all this capital and resource mm -hmm. and infrastructure, mm -hmm. they can now plug into a software that plugs them into that infrastructure automatically. Totally. And once we get to the point where like, one of the things I follow is like, like uh, Elon Musk's Starlink, right? Being able to beam down like, uh, like uh, internet worldwide through a satellite. Yes. Right, super yeah. cheap, affordable, yeah. affordability internet. Right, like what? How? What kind of transformations that? It could would have? revolutionize. I mean, you know, we we the one thing that I see a lot is, I mean, technology as a point of connection for. Yeah. There's a, there's so many communities where if you think about so, um, you know, some of the communities that we work with, think mm -hmm. about a really remote community where you know access to let's say art supplies. We want to go in and do big canvases, and we want to you know bring you know flying all of the supplies there, you know, how expensive that is, right? And how uh, challenging that is. And then I think about something like augmented reality yep. and having access to technology where these students in a remote setting can be exploring in augmented reality, painting, creativity, creating, you know, it's amazing. I mean, there's all of this opportunity to create points of connection and inclusion. Yeah. I saw a really cool application, actually. So speaking of co-working spaces, that's Center of Social Innovation is a co-work space. Okay. And one of the reasons I moved us there is I, I really wanted to feel that kind of community activation and like-mindedness. And there was a, a, a tech startup that was, that was sharing the space next to us. And they were using virtual reality as a means to create opportunity for children with terminal illness. So they were creating sort of like if you picture Make-A-Wish, 
uh, where kids get to go places and do things, but for kids who can't go yep. places and do things. They were creating opportunities for these kids to use virtual reality to explore, you know, like an African, you know, safari or yeah, yeah. wherever, whatever they want to do. Somewhere around the world, an amazing adventure, out on a boat, sailing, something. I mean, that type of, uh, that type of purpose for technology, there's, there's so much opportunity. And, like, that's, that's what we see is in what we do we're all about you know, activating voice and creating community and creating young leaders and empowering young people to believe they can create positive change in the world. And now if we can just do a better job of harnessing some of that technology, we know that it will only amplify what these kids are capable of doing you know, and what we're capable of doing as an organization. Absolutely. But one of the things is like technology itself is pretty expensive. right? Like how are you actually bridging this connection? Like do you yeah. Buy the technology elements, or you work with partners that provide that. That's what's so. We, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a constant process, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, right now, for example, we have a wonderful partnership with the Toronto School of the Art, and uh, they have a design lab, a mm -hmm. digital lab, and they are now in a new partnership with us, launching in the new year, where we're going to have full access to this this digital lab, so that when we run our after school program, the kids can run it out of a digital lab. Mm -hmm. Amazing, yeah. right? I mean, so then we can bring in an artist educator who's a graphic designer. He can work with the students one-on-one -on -one and really help them to, to learn these skills and this craft. That's incredible. We need more partnerships like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but it really is about trying and then trying to partner with, you know, companies. We're certainly really interested in partners, partnering with, with tech companies that would be interested in providing access to, you know, a lot of different technological applications that we can be using to help the students, you know, access different opportunities for creativity through technology. Uh, so that's a big part of it. And then, I mean, for us, it's really just always like any charity. It's, it's always about, you know, trying to source funding right so yeah. the more funding we have the more we're able to you know purchase some of these tools and supplies and technology that we can keep for you know as long as they live so that we can work with the students that way no absolutely I mean while we're on the topic how can people support yeah sure so if you go to that ignite change button in the top right ignite change. Okay. Um, we certainly look quite a lot for you know um, corporate partners in, in corporate giving and, and individual giving being the generosity of all the humans on the planet who want to contribute. Um, but we have a lot of opportunities when we work with companies across lots of different sectors, across technology, across finance, across insurance, across mining, to really work with these companies to figure out uh, our goal is always how can we uh, how can a message resonate with a company's team about the good that they're doing? So it's really important these days. I think a lot of people work in, in corporate settings. They want to know how their company is investing in the community. And I think one thing we're proud of is that we really focus a lot on making sure that every employee feels very engaged with, with our mission and our cause and can feel the impact of what their company is doing. So that's a big part of it. And then if you scroll down, then yep. the uh, volunteerism. So... Again, you know, we have this uh, technology advisory group, and we have a number of, of volunteers who have come out of the woodwork really just around everything, you know, from digital marketing to looking at, again, like, you know, technology in the workplace, looking at systems. And so we're always really looking for volunteers who want to come and participate in that way. Absolutely. This, I mean, that's really great. Um, like, what about space-wise? I mean, I know you work in Social Innovation Center, but... Yeah. Um, like some of the regions you're talking about, it's pretty widespread across, yeah. uh, across the city. Yeah, I mean, that, that's one of the next big goals. You know, my, uh, my dream would be to be able to create sort of community hubs where we can have creative spaces, where students can come 
from a number of different areas and can really work on all of these different creative and technology, you know, because again, the more we can, if we can create a space where we have stationary technology that's housed there and students can come and learn and grow from that, it'd be amazing. So I always have this dream of having these kind of dare arts hubs that are in different, you know, uh, communities around the city that provide access to uh, some of the community, well, most of the communities we work with, they really have a lack of access to resources, right? I mean, there's a lack of access to transportation, there's a lack of access to community safety, there's a lack of access in a lot of ways that restricts students from going out and actively participating in their communities. And I would just love to have these, these spaces, these centers of, of arts and creativity and innovation and technology where students can come and build community, build that kind of positive, supportive outlet for them. Um, and we, I mean, I wanna do that right across Canada, right? So yeah, yeah. that's certainly, we, we, look for, we look for partners to do that too, you know? <laughs> so what kind of partners are we looking for? You need people to provide you space? Like yeah, we for? need, I mean, we need, we need partners to provide us with space. So, you know, I mean, even our, even our offices, the Center for Social Innovation is amazing, but you know, one of the most beautiful things that a charity can have is, is when a company just donates space for administration and offices, right? We need that kind of space. We need program space. We need space where kids can go for after school programs. Um, um, we need, you know, large-scale funding to be able to create the type of growth that we want to create across Canada. And there's a lot of opportunity for funders in different sectors to really kind of take on and and um, and feel a, an empowering sense of activation around something. So you know, we give we give companies the opportunity to come in and and really kind of take ownership or take accountability of one piece. You know, so maybe we want to run like a new tech youth institute, you know, and so a, a tech company can come in and really help brand that and, and really feel that impact they have in the community and, and spread the message that they care about community by partnering with us to do that. Absolutely. And they can prepare, participate again by providing the tech, resources, mentors. Exactly. Right. Yeah, this, the sky's the limit. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we really, you know, nonprofits are so dependent on generosity, right? Generosity of time, energy, money, space, resources. Um, and so we just always hope that people are going to want to keep, you know, people are going to want to come and contribute and get involved. Absolutely. And um, we hope you get more. Cause we, uh, like one of the yeah. things uh, I talk a lot about is like how much more of these spaces we need, mm -hmm. genuine space where people can develop and, and, and get comfortable with learning and, and uh, getting better, mm -hmm. uh, bettering themselves mm -hmm. and things like that. Because it's a skill set that I think it's going to continuously become, I think, being able to be fluid as a person, being able to learn new skills, having the confidence to be like, yeah, I can learn new things. I can master new things. Yes, exactly. I can follow different passions as it changes. Yeah. That, that's allowed. That I can try different things yeah. and fail and get back up and dust, dust myself off and mm -hmm. keep going. Um, and as our economy changes uh, into the new econ innovation economy, like these are the skill sets that are sorely lacking in not just underserved communities, but in in most communities in general, mm -hmm. um, because the traditional infrastructure is not built for it. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I hope that um, I mean, we play a small part in getting your message across. People find uh, find out what you're doing and help support, mm -hmm. whether it be volunteering or corporate or individual giving. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we'll help you get uh, get that message across as much as we can. Yeah, and thank really you again, Jennifer, for coming yeah. here and uh, sharing more about it. Thank yourself. you very much. Thank you, thank you for having me. Thank you.